You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Church, my Bible is open to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to 14, and I would invite you to open your Bible there together with me. Now, uh, reading's become a new hobby for me, new in my adult years. It was not so much a hobby for me in my youth and teen years. I liked it as a boy. I liked reading choose-your-own-adventure novels and uh, this series called Red Wall, but when I became an angsty teen, I didn't want to read. It got really boring. But like you, if you went through the Canadian education system, we were forced to read in high school, weren't we? In English class. And in English class in high school, I liked none of the books that I was forced to read. And I especially disliked one book in particular. You may have read it. It's called Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Catcher in the Rye is a coming-of-age story about a young boy named Holden Coalfield who leaves his school and goes to the big city. And when he goes to the big city, he finds very quickly that everyone around him is a phony. In That book came out in 1951. And I feel like in the time since then, our sensitivity as a culture to what is fake has increased a lot. We're cynical about politicians because we know they make promises, but we don't expect them to be worth their salt. Uh, We're cynical about corporations because though they do big charity events that raise millions of dollars, we know they're just pushing a product that they want to sell. And young people, when they are going through their own coming-of-age story, they're told, don't be fake, be authentic, be real. But the message they hear when they're told to be real and authentic is this, be true to yourself. You may have heard that before. Be true to yourself. I think we, we somehow, for the most part, we value some sense of personal integrity, but that's actually kind of, the, kind of the problem. It's only personal. It's very subjective. What mean being true to yourself might be very not the same for being true for, to themselves, someone else, but where's, where's the line? Where's the standard? And how frequently have Christians been looked at and people have observed our behavior and we are the people who others call phony, who don't practice what we preach. In the book of Colossians, this passage today, the Apostle Paul says he's praying for these Christians, that they would live a life that is worthy of the name of the Lord and fully pleasing to him. In short, I would say Paul wanted them to live lives that were true, but not true to themselves, true to the Lord. Friend, I hope you want to live a life that's true, that's authentic, that's not phony. And as Christians, we are called to live lives that are true to the Lord. And today, God's word is going to instruct us that if we want to live a life that is true to the Lord, it must be pursued through prayer. Paul prays for these people. We need to pray for each other and for ourselves. 
And from this passage, we're going to learn five simple prayers that we can pray so we can live lives that are true to the Lord. So as we often do to honor God in the reading of his word, let's stand together and read this passage. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 to verse 14. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Please take your seats, church. If we are going to live lives that are true to the Lord, we, it must be pursued through prayer. In short, today we're going to learn five simple prayers, but they're all prayed in the same way. Lord, help me. Lord, Help me. And here's the first simple prayer that we can pray to live a life that is true to the Lord. Lord, help me be discerning. Lord, help me be discerning. Turn your eyes back to the text again with me. Verse 9, and I'll explain to you what this discernment is. Verse 9, and so from the day we have heard of you, uh, we heard we have not ceased to pray for you. See, see, it must be pursued through prayer. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the discernment. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Discernment enables a life that is true to God. Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, when you hear the term, the will of God, what do you think about? Most people, when they hear about the will of God, they think that God's will is this or that decisions. Maybe you've thought about God's will like that. Young, uh, young adults, young people often think that God's will is primarily a this or that decision. Should I apply to this school or that school? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I take this job or that job? God's will is not primarily this or that decisions. What is God's will? God's will is the way we live in the light of who God is and what he's revealed to us. Think about that closely. God's will is the way we must live in light of who God is and in the light of all that he's revealed to us in his word. And and interestingly, the knowledge of God's will that Paul prayed for wasn't just an acquisition of knowledge. Look at verse 9 again, halfway through that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, but there's a certain type of knowledge of God's will that we have in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom and understanding means that you don't just have the acquisition theoretically of God's will, but you have the skill to apply God's will to our lives. There's a wisdom, there's an understanding that you know what to do with it. But notice also, back of the text, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That means that when you're filled with the knowledge of his will and you have it in a way that you have spiritual wisdom and understanding, you have 
all things that you need to live the human life that glorifies God. God's will, when known and grasped with wisdom and understanding, is comprehensive for everything you need to live your life to follow God. It means that you will be able to say yes to what is good and no to what is harmful. In short, being filled with the knowledge of his will in this way is to have discernment. Is this safe to drink? How would you know? You didn't see me pour it. And even if it did come from the taps, didn't the people in Flint, Michigan, think that their taps were safe to drink? I could have got a handful of snow from the side of the road outside last night and put this in the cup and left it somewhere warm so that you might think it's good. How would you know that it's, this is safe to drink? Discernment is like the filter that cleanses our water. We need water. Discernment is able to remove the things that harm us and retain the things that we need. And be sure, every day, church, when you walk around and live life in this culture, you are drinking and consuming things that affect your walk with Christ, whether you know it or not. And the discerning person is the person that is biblically, biblically informed so that they can identify what's harmful and remove it so that they can live in a way that's good. But the person who lacks discernment consumes any artifact or aspect or piece of entertainment in our culture consumes anything without consideration to the fact that it is poisoning your walk with Christ. Do you lack discernment? Church, your pastor loves you, and he has been a man that has lacked discernment. I grew up in high school and in university very willing to tolerate things through my CD player and my iPod and my computer screen that are literally now in the trash. I had to throw them out because I finally recognized that it was trash. What are you tolerating in our culture that everyone else says is acceptable and permissible and popular what are you tolerating that to God is actually reprehensible? What is it? You might think a little nudity watching HBO is okay, but you don't know what it's doing to your marriage or your future spouse. You might think that giving your kids unencumbered access to the internet won't do them harm, but you don't know what they're watching every night when their doors close. You might think that it's okay to flirt at the gym or the office, but many men and women have flirted at the gym or the office and have lost their spouses because of it. 
You might think that it's okay to shout and cheer when you watch men and women pummel each other's bodies in cages, but didn't God say that we're created in the image of God and we're entertained by other humans doing what the gladiators did to Christians? I'm thankful for the sobriety that I see in the word in the room right now. You guys are taking these words seriously, and you should be, because God's word tells us in Hebrews chapter four, that if you don't have the power to distinguish good from evil and choose good, you will never grow in your walk with Christ. Your spirituality will be stunted if you lack discernment. We need this church, but praise God, praise God, God wants to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And maybe you've lacked discernment. I've lacked discernment. I've filled my mind with things that I threw in the trash because they were trash. Maybe you are. God is gracious. God wants to renew your mind. God wants to transform your mind. God loves you. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is full of darkness, your whole body will be dark. But God wants to fill you with light, church. And, and the way that we are filled with light is being filled with the knowledge of his will. See, there's five simple prayers that we're learning to pray today, but if we can't pray this prayer, if we let this one pass, the rest will be vain. If we can't pray this prayer, we will not live true to God. We will look exactly like the world and we'll be another church of phony Christians. Lord, help the parents in our church to show our youth discernment. Lord, help the young adults in our church to show their non-Christian friends what it means to be set apart for Christ. Lord, teach the husbands in our church to be men of integrity rather than men who are phony. Help the women in our church to be men, women of gentleness and uprightness who protect and guard their homes and are willing to say the hard things even if they don't, kids don't like it. Lord, help us. God wants a holy people. God wants a people who are worthy of his name. Lord, help me be discerning. Church, God wants to renew your mind. God wants you to walk in a way worthy of the gospel. If we can't pray this prayer, the rest of them are vain. But when we pray this prayer, God will fill us. As we study his word, as we ask the spirit for help, God wants to do this with you. Lord, help us be discerning. See, when we have this discernment, the scripture in this passage says that there's four ways that it will change us. And these four ways will teach us the four other prayers that we can pray so that we can live a life that is true to God. Do you want to live a life that's true to God? Then pray, Lord, help me. Lord, help me be discerning. And, and Lord, help me be fruitful. Lord, help me be fruitful. Look at the text again with me, verse 9. It's good to reread and read and reread these passages so we let hide the word in our heart. Verse 9 And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Lord, help me be fruitful. If you're familiar with the Bible and Christianity, you're probably familiar with this image of fruitfulness, right? As a healthy tree produces healthy 
fruit, so a Christian who has believed in Jesus will produce conduct that reflects the character of Jesus Christ. If you've believed in Jesus, your life should be changing and producing conduct that reflects Jesus' life, that does good to the others around us, and that glorifies God in the process. That's what bearing fruit is. And notice some unique particular things about the grammar in this passage that tells us about the kind and type of fruit that we bear. It says that we are bearing fruit, not that we did bear fruit or that we have borne fruit or that we were bearing fruit, but that we are bearing fruit. Christian, the trajectory of your life, though it can stumble, it should always be on an upward trajectory. It's not that I act Christianly on Sunday, but I bear fruit after the knowledge and image of Christ every day of the week. Whoever I'm around, wherever I am, bearing fruit is ongoing. And and notice it says, look at it again with me, bearing fruit in every good work. Wow. Every good work, everything I do can do good to others, glorify God and reflect the character of Christ. Man, I want to live in a way like that. Don't you? I want to live in a way that everything I do is marked by godly productivity. That when I put my head on the pillow at the end of the day, I knew it was worth it. And then I get my head off of the pillow in the morning, I know I have a reason to get up. And this gives me confidence that when I live my life in this way that's discerning and asking God to bear fruit, this, this gives me confidence that my life has meaning. And you should know, Christian, that this gives God confidence that he can use you to do his work. Think of a, think of a soccer coach who has a star striker who always scores 100% of his penalty kicks. And the next time a penalty kicks up, he's not asking, who am I going to pick? I'm going to pick the star because he gets 100% of the goals. Imagine a builder who, who knows he can rely on a contractor who gets the job done on time and under budget 100% of the time. And when he has another task to do, he's not questioning who he's going to call. He's going to call the guy with the perfect record. Listen, God wants to use you, church. God wants to use holy vessels that are set apart for him and ready for every good work, as 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy chapter 2 says. God wants to use you. Do you want your life to have meaning, to have value? It can, and not just to yourself. Not living a life that's true to you, but living a life that's true to God. And that's being used by God. Lord, help me be fruitful because I want my life to have meaning. And I want to be ready to do your work. Because at the end of the day, when we all go in a box and in the ground, only what's done for Christ is what lasts. If you want to live your life with meaning, if you want to be true to the Lord, then it must be pursued through prayer. Lord, help me be fruitful. 
Lord, help me be discerning. And here's the third prayer we can pray. Lord, help me be wise. Look again with me in the middle of verse 10. It says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What is wisdom? Wisdom isn't just the acquisition of knowledge. It's the application of knowledge. Wisdom has a depth of knowing that cannot be reached without the doing. See, this passage says that when we're filled with the knowledge of God, we'll bear fruit. And in bearing fruit, in doing good works, as a result, we increase in knowledge. There's a depth of knowing God that can be only gained from doing his will. And this is the same in regular everyday life too. Say you want to learn to play the guitar. So you go online and over Christmas break, I guess the guitar company Fender recognized that people may be buying their kids guitars for Christmas. So I saw a lot of ads on Facebook by Fender about people sitting on a chair saying, hey, buy our guitar tutorial lesson. You can watch all the tutorials you want online. You can read all the books about reading guitars you want. You can know all the theory, but what good is it if you don't pick up a guitar and build the calluses on your fingertips from pressing on the strings? There's a depth of knowing that can be only understood through doing. Think about parenting. You can read a lot of baby books in 40 weeks. Believe me, me and my wife did. And we learned a lot that helped us when the baby came, but when the baby came and I actually needed to do the work of parenting, I learned about a depth of what it means to be a parent that the books could never have taught me through the doing. You know, something unique, a unique trend is, happens that I see in our, our church, our church. I see a lot of people I don't know how many, but a lot of people in our church attending multiple small groups. They attend a mixed small group and they attend a men's small group. They attend a mixed small group and they attend a women's small group. They attend a mixed small group and they attend a young adult's small group. And I think they do this, I think you do this because you want to learn more. You want to know more about God. But the unique thing is I see a lot of these people who attend multiple small groups serve in zero ministries. And this isn't a plea for more workers. This is an encouragement that you're missing a deeper sense of knowing that you can only get through doing. See, Psalm 10 verse 14 says that the God is the father of the help, uh, help, excuse me, he's the father of the fatherless. So you can go to small group and learn, oh, cool, God loves orphans. But then you can obey what James 1.27 says and actually go care and visit orphans. And there's a depth of knowing God's love for children that you couldn't have known through just sitting in the group and can only know through doing the work. Romans 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You can know the truth that you were a sinner and that you were, should not have been accepted by God. 
And you can know that God loves you, but then, then you can go to the people on the streets who everybody else turns away from and who everybody else ignores, and you can love those sinners, and then you know more how much God loves you in a sinner that you would have known unless you loved other sinners. Lord, help me be wise. The Apostle Paul says that he wanted to have the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. The surpassing worth isn't our accomplishments. It isn't our resume. The surpassing worth of what we can gain is knowing God. And there's a depth of wisdom of knowing God that cannot be reached without the doing. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us be wise. Help us be fruitful Here's a fourth prayer that we can learn to pray. Lord, help us be resilient. Lord, help us be resilient. You may be here in a place right now. You may sometime this week, not verbally, but in your mind, have thought how tired you are and how exhausted you are. And it honestly came into mind that you're like, I'm just ready to give up. I'm just ready to quit. I got my get out of hell free card and I'm just gonna coast along but following Jesus and picking up my cross is too hard, I can't do it. I remember three or four years ago, sitting right in a spot over there while our former senior pastor was preaching, so exhausted, so tired, and it made it look like I was taking notes on my sermon, on my phone, but I was actually on Google Maps looking to see if there were any ministries to natives in Thunder Bay because I thought the only solution was just leaving. Every one of us can feel weak and tired and weary, but the Lord can help you be resilient. Where does that power come from? Look, look at the passage again with me. Verse 11. This is where the power comes from. This is how we can be resilient. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Why? Why are we strengthened? For all endurance and patience with joy. See, the resiliency that we can have, God wants to strengthen you to endure, but it's not an endurance that just drags yourself through the life, your life like you're living through a miry bog day by day. That's not what it means to live true to God. Christian, weary Christian, exhausted Christian, despondent Christian, you can endure in such a way with such a strength as this passage says that you have patience. I don't know what you're going through right now, but God's word says that when we're strengthened by his power, we can patiently wait through the hard times. Not only that, it says at the end of verse 11 that we can have joy. I don't know what sorrow you're experiencing right now, but God's word says, and I believe it, that we can have joy even when it's hard to endure. An endurance with patience and joy is resilience. So, so how do I get this power? How can I be strengthened with all this power according to his glorious might? Well, if we turn to another prayer that Paul prayed to a different church, we'll notice that there's actually similar language 
and will notice that there's a little more clarity to what he means by this power and might. So turn your Bible with me a little to the left to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul prays a very similar prayer to the Ephesian church, and in it he clarifies the type of power that we have. Ephesians 1, verse 19 says this. He prayed that they might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the great working of his might, do you see the similarity? But here's the clarity. According to the great working of his might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What power is available to you, Christian? The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. The power of God that canceled your record of sin. The power of God that rescued you from wrath and hell. The power of God that reunited you into a relationship with God. The power that breathed breath into the lifeless body of Jesus can breathe vitality into you so that you can endure with patience and with joy. So who's running on fumes today? And who needs a fill-up? How do we gain this power? Ask God. Ask God. Strengthen me. I don't have the power. Strengthen me. I need your power. Ask the Lord. Lord, help me be resilient. Prayer is a natural admission that I'm helpless. I believe God's helpful, and I need your help. If we want to live a life that's true to God, it must be pursued through prayer. If you're a weary Christian, you can pray this and be strengthened. You can pray this and get through another day. And, and don't feel like you need to go through this alone. Because there's strength in numbers. Galatians chapter 6 says that we should bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, you can't do this yourself. I can't do this myself. I have a small group of men that I meet with on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. And, and together, through men's ministry, we strengthen each other through the knowledge of God's word and through prayer. Let's pray this for ourselves and for others. Lord, help me be resilient. Lord, help me be discerning. Help me be fruitful. Help me be wise. Help me be resilient. And here's the fifth simple prayer that we can pray to live a life that's true to the Lord. Lord, Help me be thankful. Lord, help me be thankful. What is thankfulness? Thankfulness is an attitude of appreciation towards God despite my circumstances. Think on that again. Thankfulness is an attitude of appreciation towards God despite my circumstances. I'm more and more convinced, Christians, that the most fertile soil that produces the greatest joy is thankfulness, and that the most fallowed and hard soil that produces the most stubbornness is thanklessness. And Paul told the Colossians that they had a reason to give thanks. 
He told them in verse 12 to 14 what reason they had to give thanks. Look at it together with me. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christian, you have reason to give thanks no matter what your circumstances today because by faith in Jesus, you have citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus. You have reason to give thanks. And I'd like to speak to those of you here today who are admittedly not Christians. Maybe you're here today and you're curiously exploring the claims of Christianity. You haven't confessed Jesus Christ as Lord or believed in your heart that he rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven. I'd like to teach you something brief, a brief um, aspect of what the Bible teaches, okay? So oftenly, if you read the Bible, you'll hear motifs and images of light and darkness. It's frequent. And the Bible also describes uh, the world as really being under two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the hidden kingdom, the invisible kingdom, where people who submit to Jesus Christ as their king and follow his way, they're in that kingdom. And the motif of light and darkness describes these two kingdoms. The kingdom of Jesus, people who submit to Christ and follow his way, live in a kingdom of light. And light is indicative of all things that are good, all things that are pure, all things that are beautiful. And in contrast, you know that the world is full of darkness. I heard on the news last week that the police in Atlanta arrested over 30 different individuals who were in Atlanta for Super Bowl weekend because Super Bowl weekend is the summit of sex trafficking every year. And 30 people were arrested because they kidnapped women against their will, brought them to another city, and sold them to debased men who would rape them. It is unmistakable that our world is filled with darkness. But non-Christian, here's the thing you need to know. You probably think that the world is dark because of people like that. You probably think that the world is dark because of people like ISIS, or because of white nationalists who hate against ethnic minorities. It is, but not only that. The world is dark because we have rejected the light. Every human being has rebelled against God. Every human being has contributed to the darkness of this world. And non-Christian, I want you to know that if you've not believed in Jesus, that you are under that domain of darkness and you do not have citizenship in God's kingdom and unless you repent and believe in Jesus, you will be punished as a rebel sinner. But the good news is that while we deserve to be punished for our dark sin, Jesus suffered for our sins so that we could be cleansed from our sins and welcomed into the kingdom of light. So friend, if you're here today and you think that the problem of the world is what everyone else does, you need to know that the problem is because you, like everyone else, 
have rejected God as being your king, but believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins and you will be delivered from the darkness and you will be transferred in the kingdom of light in a moment. Believe, believe now. Turn your eyes to Jesus now and in your own heart say, forgive me, I believe, and you will be forgiven. Christians who know this, can we attest to this? Is this not how God saves? But Christians, actually the, the fact that we forget this is the reason we're thankless. See, see, the passage says that you can give thanks because you have a share in the inheritance of the kingdom, Christian. You have a share in the inheritance, but we so often covet what happens in the darkness. We look at people who are unsaved in their career advancement and say, why isn't my career like their career? We look at people who, who don't love the Lord and have a housing situation like we don't have and say, why can't I have a house like that? Why can't I have health like that? Why can't I have finances like that? Do we forget that they have that in the darkness? But we have the light. We have the kingdom. Thankfulness is an attitude of appreciation to God despite my circumstances. In 1989, a very significant world event happened. If you look like you're as young as me or younger than me, you might not know what that event is. In 1989, the people of Berlin tore down the wall that divided their city. 28 years earlier, the communist East German government set up that wall in the middle of the city to separate them from the democratic West Germans because they didn't want their people to be in, who are communists to be influenced by the other people who were democratic. But during those 28 years, interestingly, the uh, communist part of the city starved. Their economy crashed. People were in rags. But on the other side of the wall, in West Berlin, the economy under a democratic rule was flourishing. But in 1989, when the wall came down and communism fell, the East could now share in the prosperity of the West. What type of person is going to want to stay in rags when they can have the prosperity? And it's the same for us Christians. The wall that divides us from God has been torn down. The gates to the kingdom have been opened. Why would you go back? No matter what is happening in your life, you have reason to give thanks, Christian. Your health can be failing. Your kids can be walking away. You may have lost your jobs. Your relationship may not be where you want it to be right now. You have reason to give thanks because by faith in Jesus, you are a part of his kingdom. And thankfulness is God's will. If you want to live a life that is true to God, it must be pursued through prayer. Lord, help me be thankful. Lord, help me remember the kingdom. Lord, help me not to covet. If you want to live a life that's true to God, it must be pursued through prayer. When I was a preteen, up at my parents' cottage, there was a marina day where you could go and use water sports. And little preteen Jason had a little preteen figure. 
and the marina attendant thought that little preteen Jason still could fit in this really big adult kayak. And they didn't have any other kayaks because it was like free marina day. I was like, whatever, I'll just take it. I didn't know any better. And he gave me this thing to wear, a utility equipment piece for the kayak called a skirt. It's not like a skirt, like I wasn't wearing that. But it's like um, this spandex covering that went over your legs and wrapped around the hole of the kayak so that water wouldn't splash in and sink the kayak. And uh, my buddy and I went out into the river and my buddy dared me. He was like, yo, you should flip your kayak. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. He's like, you got to flip. I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so I flipped my kayak, but little preteen Jason in a big adult kayak couldn't reach the release for the skirt to get out. So I was stuck underwater for a long time. And somehow I kind of like pushed up against my cap and squirmed through the skirt just enough so I could bend my torso and get my mouth above water. And I honestly wasn't even thinking about getting a breath. I was just thinking, I need to yell, help. That's what prayer is. When we recognize our helplessness, the only response is that we need to cry out for help. We do not have the strength or capacity in our own selves to live a life that is true to God. We don't. We can't by our own effort live a life that's worthy of the Lord. We can't by our own effort live a life that's pleasing to him. But if you want to, if you want to live a life that's true to God, it must be pursued through prayer. And now, you know five simple prayers that you can pray every day to ask the Lord for help. And now allow your pastor to pray on your behalf that God would be our help. Father in heaven, we are so in need of you. God, I pray that you would forgive us. God, I pray that you would convict us. I admit, Lord God, too often I think that I'm self-sufficient. I think that by my own willpower, by my own planning, by my own personality and creativity, I think that intrinsically to myself, I have what it takes to live my life for you. But I don't, Lord God. Whenever I think those thoughts and try and live that way, I always end up empty. I need your help. Lord, we need your help. I believe that I stand among people who want to live lives that are true to the Lord. Lord, help us. Lord, help us be discerning because without discernment, we will not know your will and we cannot live in a way that pleases you. Lord, Lord, help us bear fruits that we would live meaningful lives that do good to others and glorify you. Lord, help us be wise that we would gain a depth of knowing you through obeying your word. Lord, Lord, help us be resilient so that when we are on empty, we will be strengthened by your power. Lord, help us be thankful 
Lord, help us be thankful because you have rescued us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. And Father, thank you that even now we can participate in this beautiful ancient tradition of communion. Thank you that together we can look and take the bread and the cup, these symbols by which we remember the sacrifice of Christ through which you and his, through his resurrection, you can give us the strength and the power to endure. Thank you that we can take these things now as your church. Be glorified as we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.